This morning we're continuing in our series as we're looking at the person of Jonathan. Jonathan whose name means gift of Yahweh, gift of the Lord. When we first looked at Jonathan, we were introduced to him as somebody who, who really leaned on the Lord, especially in times of trouble for his whole nation. Then we saw later on how the Lord redeemed Jonathan through the work of the people and through the sacrifice that pointed ahead to the later redemptive sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we can see how vividly the Lord's hand is at work in the life of Jonathan. Now we come to the place where Jonathan is introduced to the young man who will forever change his life. We'll together look at 1 Samuel 17 verses 45 to 18 verse 16 as Daniel is introduced to David. David who has just come back from killing the giant Goliath. Here we're given a picture, a little bit of a picture into the window, uh, a window into the life of um, David as well and the character of David as well. Then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword, with a spear, and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. So it was when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, and that David hurried and ran towards the army to meet the Philistine. Then David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine in his forehead so that the stone sank into his forehead and he fell over on his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. Therefore David ran and stood over the Philistine, took his sword and drew it from its sheath, and killed him and cut off his head with it. And when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. Now the men of Israel and Judah arose and shouted and pursued the Philistines as far as the entrance of the valley and to the gates of Ekron. And the wounded of the Philistines fell along the road to Sha'araim, even as far as Gath and Ekron. Then the children of Israel returned from chasing the Philistines, and they plundered their tents. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem. But he put his armor in his tent. When Saul saw David going out against the Philistine, he said to Abner, the commander of the army, Abner, whose son is this youth? And Abner said, as your soul lives, O king, I do not know. So the king said, inquire whose son this young man is. 
Then as David returned from the slaughter of the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in his hand. And, Abner said, and Saul said to him, Whose son are you, young man? So David answered, I am the son of your servant Jesse, the Bethlehemite. Now when he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Saul took him that day and would not let him go home to his father's house anymore. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan took off the robe that was on him and gave it to David with his armor, even to his sword and his bow and his belt. So David went out wherever Saul sent him and behaved wisely, and Saul set him over the men of war, and he was accepted in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. Now, it had happened as they were coming home, when David was returning from the slaughter of the Philistine, that the woman had come out of all the cities of Israel, singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with joy, and with musical instruments. So the woman sang as they danced and said, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. Then Saul was very angry, and the saying displeased him. And he said, They have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed only thousands. Now what more can he have but the kingdom? So Saul eyed David from that day forward. And it happened on the next day that the distressing spirit from God came upon Saul, and he prophesied inside the house. So David played music with his hand as at other times, but there was a spear in Saul's hand. And Saul cast the spear, for he said, I will pin David to the wall. But David escaped his presence twice. Now Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him, but he had departed from Saul. Therefore Saul removed him from his presence and made him captain over a thousand, and he went out and came in before the people. And David behaved wisely in all his ways, and the Lord was with him. Therefore When Saul saw that he behaved very wisely, he was afraid of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David because he went out and came in before them. So far, the word of God. The verses we'll be looking at in particular, reflecting on in particular, are those verses which show the friendship between Jonathan and David Verses 3 and 4, then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan took off the robe that was on him and gave it to David with his armor, even to his sword and his bow and his belt. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, there is a saying out there that says, Show me who your friends are, and I'll show you who you will become. The Bible speaks about this as well, saying, do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good character. Friendship is something that's seen as very important in the Bible, very important in the Word of God. And yet, we have to ask ourselves sometimes, what is our view of friendship? 
Does it line up with what God has revealed to us? Or is our view of friendship mostly just impacted by what the world has to say, what the world says that a friendship should look like? There's a pretty famous song put out by the Disney company in their Pixar franchise called Toy Story in 1996 and written and sung by Andy Newman. It's taken, it has taken off from there and it's become very popular. It's been sung by big names like Michael Bublé now. And the, the name of this song is, You've Got a Friend in Me. The idea behind this song is that there's a love between this boy and his toys. And as the singer says, some other folks might be a little bit smarter than I am, bigger and stronger too, but none of them will ever love you the way I do. Now it's a touching song, and that's actually part of the reason why it's so popular goes on to say, you've got troubles and I've got them too. There isn't anything I wouldn't do for you. We stick together and we see it through because you've got a friend in me. It captures an innocence and a kindness and a genuineness in friendship that's missing in too many people's lives in this world today. This is why it's been so attractive to people, why it's been so popular, because it, it rings with something inside of them that they feel they need. Now, this certainly captures a different kind of friendship than other people have suggested that David and Jonathan had. And this is something that we need to clear up right up front. In modern scholarship, there's been a real effort and a real push to suggest that there was a same-sex attraction between the two. In keeping with this world's ideals and ideas, they simply can't see or understand a friendship that goes as deep as David and Solomon's did without seeing it from, a perspective, from the perspective that they do. But the sad thing is that this idea of a friendship that can't get as deep as David and Solomon's is without suddenly throwing in a physical aspect to it is really something that's rubbed off in a big way in our Western culture. And that's even true in the church. But that's actually not the way that God has designed friendship to be. Today, we'll see some small echo of God's perfect design under this theme. Jonathan, Yahweh's gift of friendship to David. And we'll see an earthly echo, first of all, secondly, of a heavenly reality. We read in our text here that Jonathan, David, made a covenant because he loved him as he loved his own soul. And this is a really deep and a really genuine kind of friendship. We're told quite often that especially men cannot have a close friendship in this world because it's just strange for them to connect on that level. They're supposed to be strong. They're supposed to be the leader's they're not supposed to lean on other people. They're supposed to be a rock and be an island. 
Now, there is some truth that men are supposed to be leaders, in their, especially in their homes, that they are called to stand up. But at the same time, we're not to see this, what is laid out before us, as something that's just strange, that's just an anomaly. But we're supposed to see this as a reflection of what God has laid out for us. What is possible between friends. The depth of relationship that is there. This idea of friendship and intimacy on this level actually stretches right back to the beginning of the world. We know that Adam and Eve walked with God. If we look to Genesis 3, right after the fall into sin, we can see that God was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And this wasn't unexpected to Adam and Eve. It seems to have been a familiar enough pattern that he would walk with them and talk with them as they were carrying out their tasks. This was what the cool of the day was best for in a country where things can get very hot. And it's actually not unusual to talk about this spiritual aspect to relationships, to talk about God in this way. Abraham as well was known as the friend of God in James 2 verse 23. Moses was described as speaking face to face with God as a man speaks to his friend, Exodus 33 verse 11. There's something special and unique about true friendship that has its origins in what man reflects as an image bearer of God. Now the problem is that the fall into sin has corrupted this idea of friendship. Walking with God is no longer the natural order for man. To have this deep spiritual connection with his creator is no longer the natural order. Living with him and talking with him in this way has been taken away. And more than that, friendship between humans as it reflects this bond that we have with our Heavenly Father as well, this has been corrupted too. And what's often seen as friendship on this earth, especially where it's self-serving, can be a great corruption of what true friendship is meant to reflect. But this doesn't mean that friendship is completely gone and lost for good. Our canons of Dort point that out as well in chapter 3-4 where it points out that there is left in man after the fall some light of nature whereby he still has some idea of God, natural things and the difference between what is honorable and shameful. And for those who believe in God, this is especially true as they are redeemed and transformed in Christ by his spirit, this can translate into something really special when it comes to friendship. And we see this, something of this and the relationship between David and Jonathan here. But to understand what's going on, we need to understand the basis of that friendship and how that differs from the basis of other friendships that we look at in this world. Going back to that Toy Story song for a moment, I want you to think about what's reflected in talking about friendship there. What's the basis of that particular friendship? You've got troubles and I've got them too. There isn't anything I wouldn't do for you. We stick together and we see it through because you've got a friend in me. The foundation for this friendship 
and many friendships in our world today is that you have troubles in common. You both struggle in this world. You're willing to be vulnerable enough to share that with each other. Even in the face of troubles, you're going to stick through it together because you like this person so much that there isn't anything that you wouldn't do for them. That's a pretty deep friendship, you might say. That's definitely more than surface level. And yet it's still missing something. If you consider that friendship, and that all relationships for that matter, have their origin in the person of God, and the first relationship that he established with us out of his own good pleasure, then you can't really discover the depths of a true friendship without including God in it. More than that, a friendship that does include God is so much stronger than anything besides. Look at Jonathan and David. Remember how Jonathan really emphasized early in his life that it was the Lord the Lord, all in capital letters, so meaning the covenant name of God, and it shows that Jonathan has this relationship. He recognizes this relationship that he has with his God, that that's precious to him, special to him. The Lord would deliver him and all the people of Israel. Jonathan was a man who walked closely with the Lord. He really trusted in him. But Jonathan was pretty lonely in the kingdom of Judah in this regard. His armor bearer would follow him personally, sure. But there's no record of anyone who had the same depth of faith and trust in, the, in God that he was able to connect with. The same zeal and the same passion. And now he meets David. David, who in 17 verse 47 declares, Then all this assembly shall know that the Lord, capital letters there, Yahweh, our God, does not save with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. David, who according to some commentators would have been about 20 years younger than Jonathan, who they believe by this time was likely in his late 30s or early 40s. David, who had just conquered the Philistine giant Goliath in the name of the Lord, showing that same fearlessness, that same boldness, that same love and passion for the name of the Lord and the protection of God's people. Jonathan saw something unique in David. There is something unique about people who are so driven and zealous with the name of the Lord so close to their hearts, so willing to be dependent on him. If you've ever heard missionaries speak after coming back from a mission trip, you get the same sense. This desire in response to their passion for the spread of the kingdom of God that almost makes you want to drop everything right there and throw yourself into the work that they are involved with. You want to join them in service because their love for the people there and their passion and their zeal resonates with something deep within yourself. Well, this is something like what Jonathan saw here with David today. David has not just shown himself to be passionate for the name of the Lord, 
but also to be humble before the king in verses 57 to 58. He's not bragging about where he came from or his most recent conquest here. And it's in response to his love for the Lord and his very clear humility that the heart of Jonathan is captured. Jonathan loved him as his own soul. He loved him as he loved his very self, it says in verse 1, because he heard of how David spoke. But it wasn't necessarily true that somebody would respond to that in the way that they did. Consider how Saul responds too. Where David had formerly just been a boy, one of more, the more relatively unknown fringe members, he had been in Saul's court as a musician, but he was one of the relatively unknown fringe members of the court who came in occasionally to sing for Saul during his episodes of madness. David was now installed as a permanent figure in the court. That's what it means when it says that Saul would not let him go to his father's house anymore. David was obviously allowed to visit, but he wasn't to be a part-time figure in the court anymore, called up when the king had troubles. But he was to leave his duties as a shepherd and a son in his father's home and now live full-time with the king as a permanent member of his court. Now, having lived with the king, David's profile quickly rose. We read, So the woman sang as they danced and said, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. Now, this is a simple comparison, actually, and there's not much that you necessarily need to read into it. It's a parallel, poetically speaking, meant to give a picture of how the two men together have done much against Israel's enemies. But look at Saul's response to David's work in the kingdom of God. And compare that to Jonathan's response to David's rising popularity. Saul is furious, and he becomes deeply jealous. Here in this chapter, we get a quick overview of what's coming in the chapters ahead. It's a bit of a summary of what's coming in the chapters ahead. But we see, it more specific, uh, we see how King Saul begins to try to undermine, undermine David's friendship with Jonathan. If we're to glance ahead in the chapters to 1 Samuel 20, verse 31, we see how King Saul says, Don't you know? Jonathan, as long as the son of Jesse lives on the earth, you shall not be established, nor your kingdom. Now therefore send and bring him to me, for he shall surely die. At this point you can see that it's becoming obvious both to Jonathan and to Saul as David becomes more popular that David is the one that Samuel prophesied about who would replace Saul, bringing his line to an end. And following that realization in, chapter, in verses 15 to 16 of our chapter, Saul becomes paranoid and afraid of him, even while all of Israel and Judah grows to love him. But we see here that great contrast between the responses of the two. And we see how desperately sad it is that although they are both fighting for the kingdom of God, Saul is waging a secret war against David and seeing him as his rival. 
It's desperately sad in Saul's day and it's desperately sad today when you see believers hostile to each other because of their jealousy and rivalry, even when both are supposed to be fighting for the kingdom of God. But Jonathan gives us a picture of true friendship. He self-sacrificially delights in the advancement of his friend because his priority is not his own name and his own line, but the kingdom of God, just as it's been all this time, right from the beginning of Jonathan's life. And so he gives him his armor to seal before the whole world his friendship with David, a public symbol of the covenant that he's made with him. Now this isn't to say that he doesn't understand that David is going to supplant him later, that David is going to replace him on the throne. In 1 Samuel 20, verse 13 to 15, he shows that he gets it. David will replace him. But that doesn't change his opinion in the least. Instead, he prays, he actually prays that the Lord will bless David in his kingdom work, saying, The Lord be with you as he has been with my father. And you shall not only show me the kindness of the Lord while I still live, that I may not die, but you shall not cut off your kindness from my house forever. No, not when the Lord has cut off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. This is an incredible reply. But that is what this friend is able to say because His hope is not in his earthly kingdom and in his own earthly advancements, the growth of his own reputation and his own power base. But his focus is on a kingdom that ultimately has God himself as its king. And his commitment to the kingdom of God, to something outside of himself, lets him put off personal ambition and it lets him pursue a joint cause with David, with zeal, And with passion. Saul's is the natural, earthly reaction. But Jonathan's kind of friendship is a gift of God, a gift of grace. Beloved, never be amazed at sin. Never be amazed at sin when you find it, even in friendships or even in people who are meant to be working on the same side. Never be amazed at sin, but be amazed at God's grace. Jonathan's selfless friendship is a gift from God. Intimate, spiritually grounded, founded not in each other and the commonalities that they share with each other, but founded outside of each other in God. And such a friendship and love is much stronger than anything we could offer in ourselves. And this points us to Christ. In this, David and Jonathan's friendship is an earthly echo of a heavenly reality. It's a friendship that can only be found in God. This doesn't matter if it's people with radically different backgrounds pursuing as, as long as they are pursuing the same goal. This is what ties people together from all around the world. This is what makes a believer at home in a church in Canada almost 
as much as at home in a church in Indonesia or in a church in Papua New Guinea or in Australia. It makes a believer just as much at home with people who are 10 years younger as he or she might be with those who are 30 years older. Because we are brothers and sisters under one Father. Our ties that bind us are found outside of ourselves. And they are ties that have been bought for us by the blood of Christ. He redeemed us to him, and he redeemed all of our relationships and our friendships as well. David and Jonathan point us to Christ. Walking in the garden with God, relationships grounded in God and who he is with the common goal of working in and for his kingdom, these things were good and right and natural. But we fell. And now for natural men, there is much less that ties us together. What ties us together must be found inside of ourselves, moving us towards tribalism, moving us towards people who are similar to ourselves, people who are like-minded. It moves us towards echo chambers where we won't hear the rest of the world. We won't be willing to listen to the rest of the world, only to those who are within our own small group. But when we turn to God, in Christ we are redeemed and restored. And with his common goal, we have something that cuts across tribal lines of race, language, class, and wealth. We have something that's found outside of ourselves that draws us together. It's God who supplies this for us. And this reality should impact our relationships and our friendships with each other as well. There should be a redemptive quality to our relationships. Bearing with one another in love as we are called to encourage each other and grow towards that final goal of perfection, working to advance the kingdom of God here on earth. We need this kind of friendship as well. For David, we could see how he needed that friendship of Jonathan. It became a lifesaver for him. We ourselves need that as well. But we need it first and foremost with our Lord Jesus Christ, who so patiently bore our weaknesses, shortcomings, sorrows, and failures, called to reflect him in our attitudes towards each other. And we don't need it in the sense of thinking that Jesus is my buddy. No, that's not what we're talking about. But as we read in John 15, verse 15, no longer do I call you servants, for a servant doesn't know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name he may give you. These things I command you, that you love one another. This is what we find in our Lord Jesus Christ. Consider Jonathan for a moment who was willing to strip off his own armor and his own robe, his weapons, 
and hand them off to David. He was willing to strip off his own earthly glory and pass it on to David. Later on, even when he understood that David would be coming to replace him, he accepted that. And we consider that to be something incredible and amazing. But now reflect on this. How our Lord Jesus Christ came down and stripped himself of all heavenly glory for us. Redeeming us. In this call of Christ, and in this redemption that we have received from him, let us show true love for one another. Holding each other accountable for our sins. Gently but faithfully calling each other to repentance. Not becoming bitter, but being willing to humble ourselves before God. Forgiving each other freely as he forgave us. Coming alongside of each other in our hour of need. Not judging, but relying on God and turning each other's hearts back to God, reflecting the covenant that we have with him. Putting aside enmity and ambition and rejoice in each other's accomplishments, showing each other true Christian love grounded in what God has done for us. All of this in pursuit of our kingdom goal, in pursuit of holiness, in pursuit of this tie that binds us found not in ourselves, but in the redemption of our souls by the Savior, who is our brother and our friend. Yes, the Bible tells us that there is a true friendship that we can pursue. As believers in God, we share something in common that lets us go beyond simply a surface attachment to brothers and sisters here around us today. And we see that purchased in Christ's blood. What was natural between man and God and then was lost has now become covenantal and rock solid in Christ. God reestablished the relationship and confirmed it with an oath that whoever looks to him in faith will receive salvation. Let's reflect on this, beloved, and show the world as well what true love among friends who are bound by their Lord and Savior is. Let's not only seek friendships that reflect this heavenly reality, but let's strive to build up our friendships that we have to reflect this heavenly reality. Not just settling for surface level, but reflecting our redemption, reflecting true Christian love, loving each other as Christ has first loved us. Amen.